Well, I want to start this morning by saying thank you to all of our awesome volunteers at Spring Valley Community Church. So many things it takes to make a Sunday like this happen, and I just want to say thank you to you for serving us so well this morning, whether you're working at our cafe or in the parking lot, or you help set up for the egg hunt, or our photo booth, or our band, and our, all of our tech people, and there's just so many of you people who help set up all these chairs. Uh, I come in on a day like this, and I'm just blown away by how many people in this church just have a passion to serve Jesus Christ and his people, and I just want to start by saying that to you this morning. Um, Thursday morning, I woke up like any other morning, and I walked outside to a wonderful surprise. Maybe you've had this experience. I had a flat tire. And so my wife had to drive me to work, and so we called um, State Farm because we have roadside assistance. So why would you change a flat if you've already paid someone else to do it? So they came to our house, and they changed the flat tire and put the spare on there, which I like to call the death tire. You can drive a total of uh, five miles on that. And I took my uh, car to Costco, and I just was hoping they could repair the flat for $11.65. Four hours later, I was inserting my card into the chip reader for a whopping $587, as I am the man who went with a flat tire and ended up with four new tires. Yes, I am a good decision maker. And so I had this really funny moment with the technician where he handed me the warranty for the tires. And he goes, hey, if these blow up, you know, we'll replace them, and you can even get some money back if the tires explode. And I'm like, okay. And he goes, but make sure you read the warranty. And he folds up a 14-page document in five-point font and puts it in an envelope. And I'm like, not on your life, dude. I mean, how many of us are reading the warranty? How many of us are tapping accept when we uh, update our phones because it says, do you agree to the terms and conditions, and you just hit accept? Who's reading that? Nerds. Maybe you're one of them. But I have no interest in reading the term. I mean, that would take me half a day. Have you ever scrolled to the bottom of the terms and agreement just to get to the accept button? It takes 10 minutes. You're not going to read it. You and I, we don't really like to read the fine print. Those inconspicuous details or conditions, especially the conditions that prove unfavorable, that's why they're in five-point font. They get mentioned after all the amazing benefits of what you are buying is told to you. You know about this from car commercials. On the radio, you can get a new car for $99 a month with no money down. And then at the end of the commercial, someone talks faster than anyone's spoken in the history of mankind. And maybe you heard that you actually are going to pay $99 for the next 15 years at 7% interest. What about pharmaceutical commercials? Those are amazing. Because they're not allowed to do the fast talk. They have to talk slow. And it seems so worth it to be on that medication until you realize, finally, a drug that will lower my cholesterol and give me back spasms. And it's just like, oh, that's a wonderful trade-off. And my favorite line, you've heard this line before, it's always, in rare cases, taking this medication could lead to death. <laughs> okay. Seems like a totally great decision. My wife and I bought a home last summer in Lower Pottsgrove, and in the midst of that process, I realized something. The biggest source of fake news on the internet is real estate pictures. The pictures on Zillow never tell you the whole story. Oh my goodness, look at that picturesque backyard. Oh my goodness, I didn't realize this was on a four-lane highway. 
Oh my goodness, what a beautiful master bedroom. I did not realize that's also where the dishwasher is. Like you understand that people love to tell you how great something is going to be and then tell you the bad news or the hard things to hear later as quickly as possible. Because we naturally think like consumers, when someone is trying to sell us something, they always lead with the benefits. Surely you've had this experience in your own life if you're over the age of 20. You've bought something and you've thought it was going to be awesome and then you say, my goodness, I wish someone would have told me the cost or what it was actually going to be like. One of my favorite things about Jesus Christ is that he is absolutely terrible at marketing. Jesus was never trying to tell people what they wanted to hear to convince them to believe in him. He was always upfront about life with him. He was anti-fine print. This morning, I want to share with you what Jesus says it's going to cost you to follow him. That's what today is about, the cost of following Jesus. And you're like, that doesn't sound very positive. It's Easter and you're supposed to smile and tell me I'm a snowflake and everything's going to be okay. And I'm just here to tell you this morning, that would be a huge disservice to you. Because the truth is, if you don't follow Jesus, everything will not be okay. Regardless of what your philosophy professors, your best friends, and CNN tells you. The Gospel of Luke was written by a medical doctor. Luke was commissioned by a man named Theophilus to investigate the story of Jesus Christ. And then to write a report, a research paper, if you will, on who Jesus Christ is. When you open the Bible and you come to the book of Luke, that's a research paper about Jesus. The first eight chapters of the book of Luke tell us about what Jesus did. But in chapter 9, there's this clarifying moment when Jesus' disciples realize who he is. They understand his real identity. In Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 18, we find this story. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. And then Jesus looked at his guys and he said, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter, who was always the first to speak, Sometimes not for the best, but in this case, for the best, looks Jesus Christ in the eyes and he says, you are God's Messiah. At this point, Jesus' disciples had been with him for over two years, and Jesus knew that people had a lot of opinions about who he was. Jesus, or the disciples say, hey, some people think you're John the Baptist, which is weird, like, how is Jesus John the Baptist? John the Baptist had been beheaded uh, about 18 months, two years earlier at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And then other people are saying, hey, you're Elijah, who is one of the Old Testament prophets. And then other people are saying, maybe you're not Elijah, but you're another prophet who has come back to life. Jesus says, I don't care about popular opinion. Who do you think I am? And Peter answers, dude, you're the Messiah. 
You are the one the people of God, the Israelites, have been waiting for all these years. You are God's promised Savior, God's promised King. That's what Messiah means, anointed one, King of all, not just for the people of Israel, but for the whole world. Like many Jewish people in Jesus' day, Peter and the other disciples were expecting the Messiah to come and free Israel from Roman occupation and oppression. Or we could put it this way, many Israelites were expecting the Messiah to come and make Israel great again. And this is what Jesus says to Peter after Peter says, you're the Messiah. Luke chapter 9, verse 21. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And then he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed, and on the third day he will be raised to life again. That's not exactly what you would expect God's chosen king to say. Don't tell anyone I'm the Messiah. And by the way, I'm going to be rejected by the religious leaders in Israel. Then they're going to kill me. And then I will rise from death. We like that last part. But if you're sitting there with Jesus and you're thinking to yourself, wait a minute, Jesus, you're the Messiah and you're going to get rejected and killed? What does that mean? Here's what it means. As soon as Jesus revealed his true identity. This is what he said to his disciples. And the text is a little bit unclear. I actually think he said this to a crowd of people that were starting to gather around them. Because some translations say he said this to the crowds. The very first thing Jesus says after he affirms that he's the Messiah, he says this. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. This is why I said Jesus was terrible at marketing. Your favorite politician is not using as their campaign slogan, take up your cross daily. No one's voting for that. As soon as his identity as the Messiah is revealed, we would expect God's chosen king to call people to surrender to him. But what should surprise us and even jar us is what Jesus tells us. It is going to cost you and me if we are going to be one of his disciples. And you're like, what does the word disciple mean? It means to be a student, a learner, a follower of Jesus. Jesus is not looking for people simply to make a decision about whether or not they believe that he is the Messiah. Many people think, maybe you're in this room this morning, that being a Christian is simply about what you believe. Thinking that if you believe in Jesus, if you attend church occasionally, if you pray when you're in a crisis, if you believe in a higher power, that that's what God is looking for from you. But Jesus Christ tells us he is not looking for deciders. He is not looking just for believers. He is looking for followers. There's three things Jesus tells us we must do if we're going to follow him. Here they are. Number one, we need to renounce self-centeredness. 
We need to deny ourselves. That word deny means to renounce or disregard your own interests. Jesus wasn't talking about denying yourself meat on Fridays during Lent. And I'm not against that. That's just not what he means by deny yourself. To renounce self-centeredness means to give up the right to control your life and to give that right to Jesus Christ. What makes this demand so radical in 2018 is that we have normalized self-centeredness. We live in a selfie-centered world. We are more concerned with people liking us and affirming us and telling us we're awesome than we are about denying ourselves and renouncing control over our lives and submitting to another. We are actually encouraged and affirmed in our decision to make our lives about us. We tell our children, follow your heart, chase your dreams. Make your life about your own comfort and happiness. For many of us, the goal of our lives is to work hard for 35 years with the hope that we will spend the last 20 living for ourselves and doing whatever pleases us. When confronted with Jesus' words, most of us want to hedge our bets or regret we came today. Can't we work out some sort of compromise? Can't I live for Jesus and live for myself too? Jesus will have none of that. For some of us, we have convinced ourselves that Jesus is someone we believe in, but not someone we reorient our entire life around. Some of you have been Christians for years and still believe that and act like that. But Jesus says you can't be his disciple if you aren't willing to deny yourself. You can't follow him if you aren't willing to make your life about saying yes to him, even if it means saying no to yourself. And just to make sure we really get what it's going to cost us, Jesus gets real specific. He says, deny yourself and take up your cross. The second thing we need to do if we're going to follow Jesus is die daily. Sometimes we hear people say, this is just my cross to bear. And what they're usually talking about is their in-laws or being stuck in a traffic jam on 422. When we hear, this is my cross to bear, to beer. It's not your cross to beer, okay? <laughs> Tweet that. Now we're serious again. When we hear, this is my cross to bear, what do we usually think about? Life's minor inconveniences, difficult people like a boss or a spouse, or our aches and pains. But when Jesus tells us those who want to follow him need to take up their cross, he was instructing them to pick up an instrument that would result in their own death. If you were living in a Roman-occupied village in Israel during the first century, and you saw your neighbor walking with a crossbeam across his back with a group of Roman soldiers around him, you knew what that meant. He had been sentenced to death. That was a one-way ticket to dying. Jesus said that following him meant dying to yourself daily. It meant that your life was no longer your own. It belonged to another. Jesus was making it crystal clear that following him meant a total surrender. Specifically, surrendering your life to his purposes on the earth. Following Jesus is not a weekend hobby. It's not something we think about a couple times a year. 
It's not something your parents or your grandparents can do for you. I can't tell you the number of people I've met when I have a conversation about faith with them. They want to tell me about a grandfather or a grandmother who faithfully went to a Lutheran church for 40 years. And in telling me that, I think they're saying, because she was a woman of faith or he was a woman of faith, I am fine. That's not at all how it works. Praise God for godly grandparents and parents. But you must surrender your life to Christ. Jesus is saying, take up your cross. Everyone who wants to follow Jesus must fully surrender their lives to Jesus. So the third thing we need to do if we're going to follow Jesus is follow Jesus. Submit to him. Jesus says, follow me. It's not just that we renounce self-centeredness. It's not just that we die daily because we hate ourselves and we hate life and we're trying to be miserable. The reason we do those first two things is that so we are ready to follow Jesus to where he wants to lead us. A lot of us think of our relationship with Jesus like this picture. We picture ourselves driving the motorcycle and we ask Jesus to get in the sidecar of our lives. We aren't looking for a master. We would prefer a personal assistant. Too many of us rely on Jesus to help us in our time of need, but we are not surrendered to him with every detail of our lives. Many of us want Jesus to forgive our sins. Jesus does forgive sin. Many of us want Jesus to answer our prayers. Jesus does answer prayer. Jesus does keep us from pain. And Jesus does allow us at times to experience pain. But sometimes we don't want a master. We don't want a Lord. We want a personal assistant. We aren't looking for a leader. We aren't looking for a king. We aren't looking for a master. But Jesus is both the one who saves us from sin, forgives us from sin, and loves us, and he is the king of the universe who demands that we completely submit to him and relinquish control of our lives into his hands. As a pastor for the last 11 years, I have noticed again and again that people want Jesus to come and make their lives better, which he always does. But sometimes we only want Jesus because, Jesus, I need you to heal my marriage. I need you to help me raise my kids. I need you to help me find a job. I need you to help me get out of debt. I need you to help me find a spouse, Jesus. I need you to help me reach my financial goals. And really what we're looking for from Jesus is to tag along with us as we drive and he helps whenever we need him. Jesus is not okay tagging along as you pursue your goals and find yourself. He asks for total surrender and he will not settle for anything less out of love. He will only be Savior and Lord, not just Savior. I know there are some of you who aren't really looking for that, but Jesus wants us to know something wildly important. Surrendering our lives to Jesus is what is best for us. Luke 9, verses 24 through 25, after Jesus tells us to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him, Jesus gives us this startling reminder. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. 
What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Some of us are afraid to relinquish control of our lives to Jesus. Some of us might even be a little offended or think that what Jesus requires is extreme. These are not my thoughts this morning. This is what Jesus is calling you to. But Jesus speaks to our objections with a profound truth. If you want to hang on to your life, and many of you will leave today unconvinced and walk out the doors because you think hanging on to your life is better than surrendering it to Christ. And Jesus wants you to know if you want to hang on to your life, if you want to keep control of your own life because you think that's what's best for you, you need to be aware that you will end up losing your life. Yes, temporarily you will live the lie that everything is fine, but the day will come when you will lose everything. Maybe it'll be in 10 years, maybe it'll be in 20, maybe it'll be next week, but you will lose it all someday without Christ. And on that day you will realize what you were so eager to protect is now gone. But if you turn to Christ and follow him, you will save your life. Why can Jesus say that? Because Jesus is the only source of true life, and without him we have nothing. Jesus says in John 15, 7, that apart from me, you can do nothing. Because Jesus knows, catch this, Jesus knows that the life we always wanted and the life we were created for is a life lived for him. So many of us, especially as suburban people, we keep trying to find life and a sense of significance through the things of this world. Many of us in this room believe life is about the neighborhood we live in, the status of our 401k, the school district our kids attend, the car we drive, how successful we are in our career, how safe we can make ourselves, our personal rights, and the goal of the American dream is personal autonomy over all that we have. So what we're following after is not Jesus Christ, but instead we follow hard after the things of this world. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? What a probing question into the recesses of our heart. Some of you, your life is about gaining the world. That's what you're about. You just want to get through. You want to accumulate wealth. You want to make sure everyone sees how externally successful you are because you value the things of this world. And Jesus says, you will forfeit yourself. You will lose it all. Because you can gain the world and find out it is completely meaningless. When Jesus calls us to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him, what he is actually doing is inviting us into a life that has meaning and purpose and significance. Do you know that Jesus wants to lead you into a life of mercy, into a life of forgiveness, into a life of seeking justice for the oppressed? 
into a life of outrageous generosity that your financial advisor would say, that doesn't seem like you care a lot about money. Into a life of holiness. Into a life of sexual purity. Into a life of sacrificial love. And into a life of giving up your own life for the spread of the good news that Jesus Christ is Savior and King. Jesus has something better for you than a typical, normal, making everything about you kind of life. It is not an easy life. It is not a perfect life. But it is a life that deeply impacts the world around you. It is a life of transforming love. It is a life of loving God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving your neighbor as much as you love yourself. I want you to know that in the midst of this message, you may be wondering, this actually doesn't sound like real good news. It sounds like I'm going to have to give up a lot. And if you read Jesus' words carefully, you realize what he's saying. Trying to find a sense of purpose and life and meaning apart from me is empty. Isn't it amazing that the way to find true life is giving up all for Christ? I think there's a fair question I need to close with this morning. Why does Jesus have the right to command you to follow him? What gives? Like if I came up to you and I was having a conversation and I told you to deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me, you'd laugh in my face, rightfully so. If you meet me by the piano after service and you're like, I demand that you follow me and renounce all for my sake, I would be like, great meaning you, we can't talk anymore. I don't think I trust you. You don't seem like a safe person. Why in the world? Would Jesus have the right to command this from you on April 1st, 2018? He already told us. In Luke chapter 9, verse 22, Jesus says of himself, he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. The reason Jesus can demand your life is because he died for it. Jesus went to a Roman cross And he already took up his cross. And when he was on the cross, he paid for your sin. He gave his life for yours. He absorbed the penalty you deserved. He already took up the cross for your good so that you might find freedom and you might find life And you might be able to leave your past and your sin and your guilt and your shame behind. Because when we follow Jesus, we follow as forgiven, set free people. Not only did he die for you, but he also rose again to give you new life. Following Jesus is not an adventure of trying to just be the same person in a different environment. Following Jesus means that he has made you new. 
He has given you a new heart, a new motivation, a new identity. You become a son or daughter of the Messiah, of the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. His resurrection means that death is defeated. We can follow him because Jesus always leads us into life, even if it feels like death, because he has conquered death. And then there's just this simple fact that you have to wrestle with intellectually this morning. Some of you are here and you're like, I will not surrender to Jesus. And I just want to speak to your intellect this morning. I want to speak to your mind. Because here's what you are forced to wrestle with. Jesus predicted his own death and resurrection and pulled it off. He is not just another God among many. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Don't you think we should be listening and paying attention and submitting to the man who lived and said, I would be killed and raised to life again, and the tomb is empty? And you're like, prove it. Just on a very practical level, Jesus appeared to over 500 people after he rose from death. His disciples spent 40 years of their lives being beaten and tortured and even dying. And the reason they were willing to die for Christ because they saw the risen Christ. You and I, we would not die for a falsehood. They saw Christ and they lived for him. There are many sources outside of the Bible that can confirm the resurrection. And if you just humor me for a moment, if Jesus did predict and pull off his own death and resurrection, don't you think you need to follow him? So here's my question this morning. Will you follow him? Will you give your life to Jesus? Will you find real life in Jesus? I want you to know that with Jesus Christ, there is profound hope for the future and there is purpose and meaning for today. Apart from Jesus Christ, there is no bright future and there is no purpose and meaning for today. Christ alone gives your life meaning because you make your life about his thing. Will you be his disciple? Will you follow him? Will you deny yourself? Will you say, Jesus, you will be the leader of my life? It's not about only a decision, but it starts with a decision. Maybe there are some here today and you are saying, I want to follow Jesus. If that's you this morning, I want you to know that the beginning of your journey with Jesus is simply a yes. Yes, Jesus, I will follow you. I will say no to myself and yes to you. And yes, Jesus, I need your forgiveness. I need the new life that you offer. 
But I want you to know today so that you're not in any way confused about what you're committing to do. You are not about to make a superstitious decision. You are about to turn your life over to another. And Jesus Christ wants to lead you. And I want to just encourage you this morning with this simple thought. This room is filled with people this morning, myself included, who are following Jesus. And we are bad at it a lot of times. I can't tell you how many times in my own life I've failed to follow Jesus. And I want you to know that you're going to surrender to a king, but you're surrendering to a gracious king. You're surrendering to a king who has chosen to love you before the world began. You are surrendering to a king who is for you, not against you. You are surrendering to a king who wants to save you, not condemn you. Following Jesus is the best life ever. And some of you need to turn away from the lie that you are a better Lord than Jesus is. You know it's not true. You know it's not true. If you do me a favor this morning and can we just close our eyes and bow our heads. And if everyone would just be still in this room for just a moment, I wanna ask you this question today. Will you follow Jesus? Will you follow Jesus? If that's you this morning, would you do me just one favor so I can see you this morning? And I don't mean to embarrass you, but can you lift your hand? And can you let me know that you wanna follow Jesus Christ today? I see these hands to my left. Thank you in the center. Are there more this morning? Today is a day of surrender. Today is a new beginning for you. Today is a day where you can live in hope. Today is actually a day where the pressure to be perfect and to have everything figured out goes to the wayside because Jesus is now leading. You've gotten out of the driver's seat and you want him to follow, or you are gonna follow him and he will lead. Is there anyone else here this morning who would say, I wanna follow Jesus? For those of you who raised your hand and just everyone else, I just wanna say that following Jesus begins, begins with a decision and it's a simple conversation with God that I wanna lead you in. You don't need to say these words out loud, but you can repeat them after me in your heart. And you can just talk to the Lord right now and you can say, Jesus, I can talk to you because you live. I can talk to you because it's Easter and you rose from death. And you see me and you know my ways and you know my heart. And I believe that you love me. And I believe that you care for me. And I want to turn away from my sin, from my sense that I can do it all myself, and I want to follow you. Jesus, be the leader of my life. In your name I pray, amen.